The Block Talk podcast started because of my passion for the property management industry. I wanted to start a conversation and add some value within the industry with a diverse range of people and professionals who can add something extra. As we start out, my aim is that the podcast offers some useful insight into a variety of views, opinions, thoughts, and foresights from our guests who include business leaders and industry experts. If you enjoy the podcast and want to find out any other information, head on over to brianwelsh.co.uk. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Block Talk podcast with me, Brian Welsh and Jax Bruce. Jax, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I was at Russell Brand last night, oh. seeing him in Glasgow, which was um, funny um, and insightful, <laughs> as always. Um, good? Yeah, it was good. It was really good. Um, and I finish up for a holiday today. I'm going off for a couple of weeks, so... I'm excited to get some downtime. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Slightly different. I went to see Deacon Blue on Saturday, actually. Um, I mentioned that in a in a meeting with my other business with Insight the other day, and my tech or CTO, our tech director, who must be in his mid thirties, said, "Who's Deacon Blue?" So I was uh, I was quite proud to be perfectly honest with you, but, uh, but uh, it was good. It was uh, it was a good weekend. Great. Well, today we're chatting to David Lees, Executive Director, Service Delivery and Performance at James Gibb Residential. David previously held positions within the AHS before joining James Gibb in January 2021. He's also a non-exec director at the Beats and Cancer Charity. David, great to have you on. Thank you. How are you doing? Good morning, Brian. I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. And great to be invited on to join you for the podcast. So thank you very much. Yeah, no problem at all. It's been it's good it's good of you to come on. So I, I guess NHS to to property factoring as and property management is is a bit different. What brought you into property management and specifically James Gibb? Well, I had a thirty-year career um, employed in the NHS. Most recently, I was a chief officer for a health and social care partnership, where we were managing both um, um, community-based health and and uh, social work services. So, yeah, it has been quite a transition. Um, what brought me in, uh, I think, like many things in one's career, sometimes it's a chance conversation that happens. And this was a chance conversation I had with our now chief executive, uh, David Reed. David I've known for some considerable time. And um, I happened to bump into David, and he was just talking to me about um, some of the challenges that um, uh, the, the new James Gibb was facing on the back of um, James Gibb and LPM coming together in late 2019. And that led to uh, a further conversation with David, a further conversation with uh, the then chief executive, uh, Douglas Weir. And on the back of that, I was invited to to make the transition to, to leave where I was and, and come on board. Um, uh, and for a number of reasons, it was the, the right time. Um, I'd been 30 years in, in the NHS. So there was a number of reasons why it felt like the right time uh, to, to, to make that transition. And genuinely, it was a fantastic opportunity to go and uh, test myself, uh, but also to take on what, um, what looks to be and has proven to be a great opportunity. Excellent, excellent. Um, so I guess it's fair to say you have a unique viewpoint um, of the industry with kind of fresh eyes. If you could fix one thing about the industry today, tomorrow, what would that be? 
I'm not sure, Brian, if I can be a bit of a politician here um, and maybe answer the question that I would like to answer uh, rather than the one thing. I'm not sure it does come down to one thing. I think think certainly the first thing I would say is my experience to date is that there are uh, working in the property management sector, there's very many really special, talented, highly able professional people in, in this industry that I've come across. Um, in, in James Gibb, but also people I've, I've come across in, in other parts of the industry. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I think that there are the, 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 yeah, there are employers and, and industry uh, industry bodies who could do more in, in this sector. I think they could do more. I think to to work to raise the perhaps the level of what you might call professionalism and that kind of ethical code. Uh, because I, I have observed that perhaps property factors, a bit like some other property-related industries, do get a bit of a bad reputation, um, whether it's estate agencies or letting agencies. Um, they get a bit of a bad reputation for for not delivering what people um, necessarily uh, want or expect from them. So I think there is something that the industry through, through PMAS, uh, but also employers, could do to to help their staff to kind of raise that bar of professionalism, to make sure the staff are trained and supported and enabled um, to work in the best possible way. It's about getting the recruitment right, the training right, the ongoing uh, professional development of staff. I think it would also help our clients if that was the case, because I think we need to work harder as, um, as a business, as employers in this business, as an industry to help our clients to know what they can and should reasonably expect from from a factor, from a property manager, um, so that in turn they can perhaps work together with us collaboratively in a, in a better way. I think sometimes as a as a customer, as a client, it's sometimes people think less of us because they perhaps expect too much or don't expect us to do the things that they would want us to do. Um, so I think my, my answer would be there's no one thing, but I think it is about employers and the industry raising the level of training, knowledge, skill, and know-how, but also working with clients and customers to help them understand what we do, why we do it, and how we can do it, and then from that, how we can do it better. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly some of the stuff in there has been a common theme on on a number of the podcasts. So education, and especially educating kind of younger people who are maybe first time into buying their house so they you know they understand yeah. what the role of factor is and actually and one of the bigger ones is downsizing you know people who have you know lived in their in in their own house for many many years and and you know the roads or they weren't in a modern development like there is now where there's a factor that looks after the, the open spaces and stuff like that um you know and then they downsize and suddenly there's this factor and and one of the other things that you, you mentioned to pick up on is you know it, it's that whole being able to please all of the people all the time. You know, if you've got a hundred people in a development, pleasing a hundred people all at the same time is, a, is an extremely difficult thing to do. Um, and in fact, Chris Ashurst was on the podcast, and he's um, he's had a lot of um, conversations with a lot of people about cladding. And it comes to the, the the point you made about kind of professionalism in the in the and raising the bar in the in the in the market for certain certain people. And he said that you know. 
a lot of factors are actually very, very good in dealing with this really well. And it's all about communication. And some of the other ones are literally burying their head in the sand and not communicating at all. And and that is not going to help to give factoring a good name. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think I think there is something in that. And I, I think in, in this industry, if we did nothing else, then as an industry, really driving the the standard the bar setting behaviors that we we see in the industry um i think we should be aspiring to do to do that as an industry is to make sure that we are firstly very very communicative with with clients so that clients know what we do when they know how we do it they know when we're going to do it and they know what what kind of outcomes that we're going to deliver for them um yeah. but most people tend not to contact us when they've got only good news. They tend to contact yeah. us when they've got a problem. So that's when those bar setting behaviors come in. When people, when clients are confused, they're perhaps a bit angry, they're upset, um, they've got a crisis, they've got a problem on their hands. That's when people need need real help and they need that help delivered in the right way. And I guess one lesson, or not one, but many lessons from my past is that it's a bit like the health service. People tend not to access the health service when they're well. They tend to access it when they're concerned when they're upset when they've got a an illness when they're concerned about a possible illness so people tend to contact you when they are when they have a level of real concern or anxiety and that's when the very best of of service delivery um needs to be in place yeah no no i would i would i would wholly wholly agree with that and i guess from a and we talk about this a lot on the podcast as well i guess from I'm taking myself out of the podcast and putting myself back into kind of um, running CPL software. You know, it's up to us as CPL software to provide you guys with all of those tools that make that communication as easy as possible. Because at the end of the day, if it's hard, you're not going to do it. So, so make that as easy as possible. So there's really no reason why you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and um, uh, I have to say, Brian, you've got an excellent product in, in 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 what you provide to the industry. You know, it gives so much of what we need, and as you know, we're we're working with you on on the ongoing improvements because any product can always be improved. But you can have the best product in the world, but if if we don't use it in the right way yeah. and then use what it offers back in the right way, um, yeah. then uh, that 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 will always uh, be be a bit of a challenge. But definitely, it's a it's recognizing that when people come to us, they most often do that because they've got a problem, a concern, and yeah. anxiety. And that's when the very best of professional customer service needs to kick in. And that's what um, uh, that's one thing that I would like to see us do more on. And that in James Gibb, from the time I've joined, that's been a very clear focus to be, when we talk about being an um, employer and factor of choice, those aren't just catchphrases those are genuine business goals and objectives because we want we want to recruit and retain and train the best people to deliver the very best service yeah 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 you mentioned challenges in there what 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 has been your biggest challenge since you joined the business there's probably not one and i'll try and talk quickly and, and share maybe two or three brian if that's okay certainly yeah, no, the, first, the, the, the first one for me was um having come from uh where i've come from career wise it was it was to build that knowledge and understanding both of the sector um uh, but also of the james gibb business you know um what is the, what does the sector um, need to do and how does it do it but also what what do we principally as a business uh, what do we offer what do we do how do we do it 
and what are those those outcomes and outputs that we are looking to to, to deliver. Um, I think then the second thing was um, uh, was to try and work out how how do we then make sure um, that we've got the right structure in place in our business. And and one of the reasons that I came on board is that um, uh, uh, Douglas uh, and, and David asked me to join to try and not to try, but to, to help them understand why those two businesses coming together, why things weren't gelling at that point, and mm -hmm. what did we need to put in place to, to allow us to become much more of an integrated, um, well-defined, well-designed uh, business um, yeah. that was well-structured, that did what it should be doing at the right point and in, in the right way. So that was the second big challenge for me because when I joined the first three months, Brian, were about me getting out and going out to meet our regional staff in, in Glasgow, in Edinburgh, in Dundee, and Aberdeen. Uh, and I joined pretty much um, a handful of days after after that um, second stage lockdown kicked in. So everything that I did was then having to do that um, through through the um, the tools of, of Teams and Zoom-based calls. Um, yeah. So that was a massive challenge as to how to get to know people and build relationships and build understanding um, when you aren't able to have those normal face-to-face face-to-face um, -face, uh, kind of interactions. And I guess the third challenge for me then is having been through that huge, for us, a big transformation over that first six to nine months of, of 2021, was then now moving into that phase of, of, of change, starting to be matured and embedded um, and building and growing um, the right culture um, and, and creating the right environment so that that structure um, can then function in the best possible way. Um, because you can have the best structure in the world, but if you've got a culture that doesn't enable that structure to work in the best possible way, you're always gonna have the toughest of challenges. So for me, that, that the, the challenge in this second six months or nine months of my time in the business has been about getting that clarity of vision, that clarity yeah. of the narrative about what we're trying to deliver and why we're trying to do it, and then be changing and adapting that change as we go along to build the right culture and, and get people on board um, to, to kind of work in the best possible way in the right culture with the right values, delivering the right service. Yeah, I guess I guess it's, I mean, I used to, I mean, not the same, but, but, but similar. I worked on the operational end of M&A in my, in fact, my, my last job before um, I started CPL. Um, and it was very much about trying to integrate um, software, a, a software company that had been purchased by my employer into the group. And, and, I, and I, I worked in a, and in fact, still, I mean, it was in legal software and I, I still have a legal software firm and, and that market is very acquisitive. So what you've got is you've got a base of people um, who who have been have come from kind of five different companies trying mm. to build a culture, and then you bring another one in, and that and that person, and you know, people are very passionate. I mean, in in I guess in legal software, it's passionate about their product and their service and their, everything they've done for their customers over the last twenty years. And I guess in 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 property management, um, they're 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 passionate about the company they've worked for and they're passionate about their processes and then trying to amalgamate those together and actually come out of it with, 
you know, um, you know, 40 happy people instead of 20 happy people is actually, mm. it's not an easy thing to do, you know, and, and, and you know, yeah. merging two businesses together, and, and you guys are quite acquisitive as well, and there's been more acquisitions, so uh, a challenge in itself, yeah. It, that's right, and um, I guess that was the core of, of my point, that, that coming in and at the same time as building knowledge and understanding, I was having to build credibility um, in relationships. So people didn't see me as being some guy from the NHS um, yeah. who didn't really know what he was talking about. I was able, I was, I had the challenge of trying to build relationships, but also bring knowledge and understanding to those relationships and also to help people work through what wasn't working, um, what, what would be better if we could change it. Um, yeah. And as you, as you know, Brian, and, and, and I've listened to quite a number of the podcasts um, I think if if you were to ask any of the the experienced leaders that you've talked to, um, getting the right people in any business is probably for me the single most important aspect of successful companies, without doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Those people with the right knowledge, with the right character, the right values, um, the right camaraderie and, and, and inclination to work together, um, those are the most difficult things to do. And um, I, I've often... Um, I've often quoted um, uh, um, the, the, the book by Jim Collins, Good to Great, and, and, and that undoubtedly has been where, where I think um, our, our Douglas, Douglas Weir, our chief or former chief exec, now exec chairman, David Reed, that's where they've, they've been trying to get this business or wanted to get this business to. They wanted to take two very, very good companies, bring them together and make them work and get them to become a really great company. And that's very much what our vision still remains. We want to be factor of choice. We want to be employer of choice. The other big curveball in all of that was those two companies were coming together in late 2019, early 2020. At the, at the point you're starting to press some of those redesign buttons, COVID mm -hmm. hits. So immediately yeah. you you add a complexity factor of, 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 of you know a thousand percent into making change and integration happen and happen well. But yeah, that, I, I think the big challenge for me has been those those three big things. But my focus has always been on getting the right people into the right job, in the right structure, working in the right way and making the culture and the values become really profound, very visible, very tangible things. Uh, because without that, we're always going to we're always going to have a bigger challenge than any of us want. Yeah, I don't know. Totally, I totally agree with that. And I mean, I'm on the same page with you about the, the whole culture and talent thing. Actually, finding good talent here today now is is an extremely difficult thing to do. And, you know, you and the, and we, we were discussing this just before we actually started recording. And one of the one of the, the big challenges is you've got to sort out your own um your own house before you then start because if bringing good people or bringing other people in because if you bring someone in who's really good and then they see mediocrity i guess mm -hmm. um they're not going to hang around for long because they thought they were joining somewhere where it was full of a players and yeah. um and so it's a it's a difficult thing to do i have to say i i, I like your book choice jim collins good to great is a fabulous book and i've read it a couple of times so yeah um i i, I do um, I do like that book, and and yeah, I mean, you know, you can you can have the best person in a job, but if they aren't a values fit and they aren't an attitude fit, then the amount of damage that they can do is is um, is is amazing. And to coin, oh, 
um, I'm sure it was Steve Jobs from Apple who coined the phrase, um, better to have a hole than an asshole. Um, mm -hmm. So better, better have a vacant position than having someone who's disruptive in your business. So yeah, no, yeah no absolutely. And and I think um, you know when, when you when you look at those challenges that I've I've offered um, in response to your question, I think within that any any leader coming into the business, any leader of a business has, all, has always got to be really brave to. Um, I think your dog probably agrees with that as well, uh, Brian. I think I think um, he does. I think he yeah, does. Yeah, that that's that, that that sounds like a bark of support, doesn't it? You know? um, it does. But. But I, I think any, any leader, any leaders, um, and we, we and, you know, there's no one person in a business who is the leader. You know, I, I think we have to create the culture where um, anybody who manages people sees themselves as being a, a leader who's able to influence hearts and minds. But it's really, really hard um, and made more difficult in lockdown when you haven't got eyes on, on people day in, day out, where you don't get that feel for how people are working together. Um, you know, leaders have got to face those brutal facts. And I think you're right when, when businesses come together where um, um, there are a number of unknowns, leaders have very quickly got to, to really grapple with those brutal facts about what's right, what's not, what's working, what's not, um, what needs to change, how do we change it. Um, and those, in, in my experience of the NHS, and I, I've worked with some, I've worked now with some fabulous people, some really talented people. I've worked with many, many fabulous people, um, clinicians um, of all sorts, uh, general managers um, um, with no clinical or, or um, kind of clinically care-related background. I work with some fabulous people. But undoubtedly, when you come across people who know how to manage, who know how to lead, who are able to express their vision and then offer a narrative about how that vision becomes a reality, who can motivate, who can enable people, who know what the priorities are, boy, that does make a massive difference. And boy, does it allow those challenges to be more manageable, managed, and, and get you to a better place. Yeah, you know, I, I totally agree. Going, guys, you picked up a couple of things there, or you've mentioned a couple of things that spring uh, brought something to mind. One of the um, one of the things, so we do quarterly meetings um, in CPL. We just do them ourselves. And in, in Insight, we have a growth coach that takes us through it. And in fact, it was him that introduced, I called Don Monkhouse, it was him that actually introduced uh, me to um, Jim Collins' books. And a lot of the stuff I've read, actually, and we do quarterly brutal facts. So we sit down mm -hmm. at a quarterly meeting and we talk about the brutal facts of the business. And it's actually an extremely difficult thing for people to do sometimes because they don't they don't want to accept it. But, mm -hmm. the, but, the, but the other thing that we've, we, we've done as well, um, and I don't know if you've come across Patrick Lencioni's The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I don't know if you've come across it. And it's basically, um, it's a way, you know, if, you're, if your top team are not fully aligned in what you're trying to do, you're never going to get there. Yeah. And it's it's all about making sure that that team is um, you know is able to talk about the brutal facts is vulnerable to the point where they you know um, um, people know how to ask them questions and 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 these sort of things and and, and understand people's you know lesser strengths. I talk a lot about Clifton strengths, which is an assessment uh, profiling tool that I'm a, I'm certified to use, and, and and I love it. I absolutely love it because you know I'm I'm sitting there looking at um, I don't know, a sales manager, and that sales manager is great at influencing, great at execution, but don't ever ask them to come up with a plan because they don't have strategies not their go-to place. So, mm. you know, you've got to look at your 
your teams as well and kind of make sure you've got those those strengths in the right place as well. Yeah, yeah and we've done some of that recently. Um, one of the things that um, David Reed, our now chief executive, um, uh, wanted us to do as a, as a senior team was to, to do that. We've, we've used something called Clarity 4D, which is one of these kind of um, analysis tools that looks at yeah. a kind of behavioral propensities within individuals. Um, yeah. But we then brought that together. We've had, um, uh, we, we then brought that together to look at those propensities within a team because you, you, what you don't want is everybody being a, an X type or a Y type or a Z type. What you yeah. what you have to accept is that you'll have an X, a Y, and a Z, an A, and a B, and a C. It's then making sure we have that shared understanding about the propensities that we we each have. I, yeah. I'm, I've always been, always for the last 10, 15 years or so, I've done a lot of work using um, using the uh, the David Cantor model of structural dynamics. Um, I've worked with a, a small company from the south west of England called um, Dialogics, um, who use that in, in helping individuals and teams to to develop an understanding about their their individual and collective behavioural propensities. And that's okay. something that I've 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 worked really uh, really with in, in the main in the last ten years, particularly the last ten years. So with my teams in in many different settings. But it's it's really important. You're right to to understand, you know how how you are and what your propensities are, but also how people in your team are because yeah. those leadership teams working to, together to focus on what's working, what's not working. Those brutal facts is massively important. If yeah. you want to get the culture right, if you want to get the structure right, if you want to get the delivery right. Yeah, no, totally agree. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I use. I use Clifton. I've not heard of those other ones you've mentioned, actually. I mean, I've come across Disc and, and a couple of the other ones as well, but, but Clifton's always the one that I've, I've kind of preferred. And to me, it's all about making sure that you've got um, a range of, of, of those strengths within your team. I mean, there's absolutely no point in having five people at the top of a business who are all doing all great a strategy or, you know, and nobody's or five people in a business who they're all doing strategy, great strategy, but I'm not very good at anything else because uh, nobody will be able to take anybody on the journey. Nobody will be able to understand um, the emotional side of what's going on and nobody will be able to execute. And but it's That's understanding, right. and I, coming back to what you said, it's understanding what the other people's strengths are and how you best interact with them with your strengths and their strengths as well. So I, I find it fascinating stuff, to be fair. Yeah. Right, so... Um, can you tell us what your plans for service delivery and performance um, are at James Gibb? And what does that mean for your clients? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, well, this builds on, on the last one to some extent because my my time so far in James Gibb has been focused on those kind of three phases of, of, of understanding what was working and what, what was working well, what was working less well. From that, we then looked at um, the structure of our business and um, the board um, uh, and the executive team have, have committed a huge amount of additional time and effort and resource to to get the structure of our business um, defined and designed in the right way to to allow us to kind of uh, then uh, staff and recruit and, and perform in the best possible way. And then the third thing is now we're at that kind of um, that third stage, that third age of change, which is embedding that and and trying to trying to use that structure and create the right culture so that our, our staff know um, uh, what's expected of them. I mean, we, we, in terms of the, the, the simple answer to your question, um, our aim very simply is, is that we want to deliver 
um, at service delivery excellence. Um, we we yeah. want to be factor of choice for clients, and and we are setting a very high bar for ourselves. But we do know that um, not in every case um, can we always be at that very high bar. But we are we are trying to to uh, working to try to get to that level. We want to be factor of choice um, in terms of that excellence of customer service. And over the last year, we've I think we've worked really hard at getting the structure right. We've created the regional offices. Um, we've we've been clear with our staff about uh, what their priorities are and collectively what our priorities are. I think we're now at a point where we are working what you might call iteratively at making sure that um, we're we're unlocking their ability, their their talents, so that they they feel that they've got the right tools, um, the right equipment, the right knowledge, the right know-how, the right training to be able to operate um, in the way that I was discussing earlier, to deliver that customer service um, excellence. We, what we're doing is that we're, you know, we, we, we focus more on, on making sure we're recruiting the right way, that we, we onboard people in the right way, that we are training people in the right way. Um, going back to that question of brutal facts, we are, we, are, we are trying to see what's not working as being an opportunity to learn and improve. Um, yeah. We are uh, tracking much better now. We've got, um, in fact, using CPL and other tools, we are tracking um, a whole series of indicators in our business, and we are using those indicators to effectively have um, a performance scorecard. So they're, they're telling it's telling us in real time um, where we are against those indicators, and that tells us what's working and what's working less well. Um, so it, it, there's no. There's no silver bullet. There's no magic key. There's no yeah. um, uh, there's no kind of magic solution for this. It is now you've got the structure. It's making that structure work, making the staff um, focused on what needs to be done and giving them our leaders and our managers the skills and the know-how as to how to enable individual staff and our teams to perform at the top of their game. Um, yeah. And that's about creating the right culture, allowing people to talk about how our values will become behaviors, but also making sure people keep remembering what our priorities are and keep working hard at those things. Um, you know, team working in James Gibb is, is, is no different to a football team, a rugby team, a, a cricket team. It's no different to how teams work in the NHS. It's you, you keep refining your skills, your knowledge, your know-how and, and keep learning and keep creating the right culture to focus on the right outcomes and outputs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Lots to do then. So yeah. where, where do you see the industry in about five years' time then? I mean, it's evolved. It evolves hugely, this industry, and it, there's different challenges um, it comes up against on a you know, what seems like an annual basis. But where do you see the industry in five years' time? I mean, it's, it's difficult to know because I, I, I think if you were to – if you were to focus on in this question on on the core elements, I would I would think and, and expect those same core elements will be as present in five years' time as they were five, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago, because at the core of what what um, what we need to do and what a client wants is good customer service. They want us to be providing the right property management services at the right point, delivering it in the right way to address what their needs are. And that sounds a little bit kind of managerial to say it that way, but th those are the core elements and that's not going to change. You will mm. always have things that come in. There might be some new legislation. There might be an issue like cladding, which comes in to, to kind of change things. Um, but at the core of this, 
I think the industry will still have that expectation placed upon it very reasonably to be delivering those core property management services to very similar types of client in very similar types of of development and that that fundamentally uh, won't uh, won't change i don't believe what needs to change is going back to my first uh, answer to your first question is that we need to get better at pushing the bar higher and higher to make sure that we are becoming more professional gaining a better reputation and delivering consistently um, uh, better outputs and outcomes for our clients so they're getting the service that they want when when they actually need it okay okay thanks for that so there's a there's a there's a conversation that um, i can't remember who started it um about whether being called a property factor is a good thing or a bad thing and 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 you know you guys get called property factors or property managers um you know that means the same thing to a lot of people do you have any views mm. on that well i i i think when you when you ask that question i think most people say if you say what you're a property factor they say what's that I think right. if you said I'm a property manager, they'd probably say, oh, yeah, I understand that you're a property manager. I, th I think property manager is is probably a narrative, a language that more people would understand. They perhaps wouldn't understand the tasks that you do or the responsibilities placed upon you. So I guess if I had to pick one of those phrases, I would say pr more property manager, um, yeah. because I, I believe we are here to manage those those properties um, on oh. behalf of clients um, in, in, in the way that they need to be managed and, and deliver the services that need to be delivered. So I'm, I'm more property manager than factor, I think. Yeah, okay, okay. I think the, 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 the child, factor's got a very historical kind of negative yeah. connotation to it as well, I think, mm. which is, I think is the reason that, that a lot of people prefer the kind of phrase property manager. Um, okay, my questions are almost over, actually, before we go to Jack's three quirky questions. But just just two things. One thing that you kind of you mentioned, I, I, I think it's always good to bring people from outside an industry into it the way that, that Gibbs have with you. And, and, and the reason I say that is because we've done it a couple of times, in, well, once in CPL and once in, in, in Insight, and actually quite recently in Insight. We've employed a, a guy to head up our PS um, division. He has no preconceived ideas about legal mm -hmm. software, our, our our software, our service. You know, he does no. He doesn't. He comes with no baggage in the industry or the company. A bit like um, a bit like yourself. So you've actually got a far more fresher pair of eyes than maybe someone who did what you do for another mm. management company. So you know, and 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 the NHS certainly, certainly, you know, I, I'm guessing there was a huge amount of training um, and um, opportunities in that environment to deal with a lot of different, um, a lot of different kind of challenges, which maybe people don't meet within property management. So I think it's always a good idea to kind of look outwardly from your, from your, from your. Um, your organization because you're, you're not kind of i don't know caught up with a minutiae of what's been happening in that industry over the last 10 years no. so you can look at it from an, an entirely different different viewpoint yeah and, and I, I i have done brian but i have to say that um and this is i'm trying to phrase this in the right way but the the only 
The only difference that I would say is a major difference is the content of what we do. Because uh -huh. to me, the essence of leading and managing and enabling and, and delivery is fundamentally no different. And I, I try to draw some similarities in an earlier answer because in, in the health service, people tend to come to, yeah. or in adult social work, they tend to come to the service when yeah. they've got a problem, when they've got an anxiety, when they've got a concern, when there might be, it might be a crisis, it might be, it might be just a, an emerging issue for them. Um, people yeah. tend not to come to the health service to say, I'm feeling great and can you make me feel yeah. more great? People yeah. tend not to come to a property manager to say, my property is in fabulous circumstance and condition, but can you do more? They tend to come yeah. along because something yeah. from yeah. as mundane as the grass hasn't been cut through to, yeah. you know, they've got a, a major crisis like a water leak or a fire or something, you know. So um, so I think the, 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 the essence is, is, is fundamentally the same, that, that in managing and leading in this business, it's about making sure our staff are, the, the right staff are recruited, they're trained, they're clear what's expected of them, they've got the right tools to do what they need to do, and they are then enabled to work collaboratively and cooperatively in a way that allows them to deliver the right service at the right point. And that sounds, again, a bit, a bit managerial, but the, 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 the essence of that is no different from my previous experiences. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the, the core focus is customer service de de yeah. requires us to deliver bar setting behaviors day in, day out, because when people come to us requiring a service, I think we have, we have a responsibility. I would say we have a duty to do that in the best possible way. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. I, I would agree with that. So actually, there is a question we asked. We're, do, we're doing a kind of leadership um, theme in, in podcasts as well. And this has certainly gone very much into that. Um, and one of the questions in there, which I would be really interested in the answer to, um, is what is the best business book you've ever read? Well, um, the, the, if you were to talk to anybody in James Gibb, there's a couple of books um, that I that I often quote, and and I've, I've referenced one al already, um, Collins, uh, yeah. the, the the Jim Collins book from Good to Great, and um, and as you'll know, that that book talks about you know that the en the enemy the enemy of of being great is good because many businesses yeah. will say, well, look, but, but why do we need to change? Why do we need to restructure? Why do we need to do more? Because we are very good. We we do what we'll say we'll do to a minimum level. We're quite a profitable business. So why do we need to be better? Um, and going back to what I said earlier and in the last answer, I think I think we have a responsibility not just to be good, but to be great. Um, yeah. And I think the Jim Collins book um, has got many, many um, themes and messages. And um, uh, uh, I was, I've listened to a few other podcasts over the last couple of years or so, just taking, as I do, taking time to listen to other people and the number of people that um, in in the sporting world, for example, that have have, have, have used the Jim Collins book as a, as a translatable, transferable kind of narrative to their own um, to the to their own kind of team or their own their own sector. The other one of the best books that I've read uh, uh, in the last couple of years is, is, a, is a book by uh, Daniel Coyle. Um, it's called The Culture Code: The Secrets of Highly Successful Groups and. Um, and, and it's one of the best books on on culture, on organisational structures and teams and ways of working that I've that I've, I've read. It's an absolutely fabulous um, a fabulous read, um, and um, uh, I, I would certainly recommend that to anybody because it it takes a whole series of different companies and situations from looking at the way in which the Navy SEALs go about their work to the way in which Pixar go about their work, 
Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's, you know, you, you read these books thinking that somehow it's going to come up with some super fancy um, new kind of silver bullet to how to make your business better and how to make your teams and your staff perform better. Um, and the things it comes up with um, at the end are the things that you we all know already. And what you do realize, yeah. it's it's about doing those same proven things exceptionally well, you know, um, uh, that, that's the challenge for us. And to go from being good to great, you need to do those basic core elements that I was talking about earlier. You know, do the do the ordinary, extraordinary well, and you will be a great performing company. Brilliant. Thanks very much for that, David. Now you get Jax with her um, with her laptop that still sounds as if it's about to take off. Um, she does have a new one. She's just not using it yet. Um, so she's here with our three quirky questions. Okay. Hi, David. Um, so yes, we finish off the, the podcast on a slightly lighter note. So the first of the three quirky questions is, what's your biggest failure across your entire career and what did you learn from it? Um, I'm not sure that's a lighter note, is it? That's a bit more failures. Um, but anyway, um, I, I, again, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not avoiding the question because I will answer, um, but I, I don't tend to see the things uh, necessarily in, in a narrow sense as failure, if I can just explain myself. Um, yes, undoubtedly, I have things that have not gone well, things that I've I've been responsible, accountable for, that have not been delivered in the way that we should. And some of them... I can't talk about it because they, they they go back to individual patient care or, or 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 a circumstance that would be inappropriate to talk about. But undoubtedly, things have not gone the way they should. I guess my what the point I would want to get across is though I think it's really important is to as a leader um, is that you 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 have got to have that ability to recognise when things aren't going well or when they are failing or have failed, um, and be able to tackle them. Um, and I think, you know, there's a saying that if you're going to fail, fail quickly, learn quickly. Um, and I think in as in, in most other parts of life, I think I've seen many times where where things are going wrong. And it's sometimes it's easy just to turn the opposite way and perhaps um, either hope they're not failing and ignore them and hope it goes away. But the best leaders that I have seen, and it goes back to the point we we're discussing with Brian earlier, is that where something is failing, where it's degrading, where it's stopping or reducing its its effectiveness, is you have as a leader, you've got to be, you've got to be aware of that. You've got to be aware of emerging and actual problems or issues or failures. You've got to be honest about that. And the very best leaders, the very best companies adjust, correct quickly, and they learn from that and then keep learning from that. And I think, uh, I guess it's not so much about what my biggest failure has been. I think it's my biggest learning has been about being open to recognizing when something's not working. Learn that art of learning. Learn that art of leading so that you can be honest and, and agile to change. Um, and, and, and be honest and open about it. Um, because a lot of businesses, a lot of managers, a lot of leaders will often choose not to be. And my experience from from particularly from my previous role is that that tends to lead to some very, very wicked and complex and tragic circumstances if you don't do that. So um, my point has been if I've had a failure sometimes in the past, it's about not seeing a problem emerging and not learning quickly enough. And I would say I tend to be somebody now who reads the reads my radar much better and I try and learn 
quickly what's not working, adjust, adapt, correct, and then implement, um, which I hope answers your question clearly clearly enough. But um, that's probably what I'd say in, in response to that one. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying, absolutely. Um, it's always good to to recognise failure as being part and parcel, isn't it, of, of what happens, but also, as you say, not to ignore it. So, yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's, it's an important part of, of both experience and age maturity. I think, you know, you realise yeah. that, um, and I think sometimes if you're younger, you know, something not going well, something that fails, it can feel like it's the end of your time, the end of your mm -hmm. career almost. But um, I worked with some fabulous leaders in particularly in the early part of my career. Um, and um, I've also worked with some people who are not very good, you know, where they they would choose to, point a finger and blame you and call you out for not doing something one of the mm -hmm. things that i've always tried to do is you know as a leader i i take responsibility both for what i do um, well but also what i do not so well but also for the people around me and my job is to create air cover under which they they've got room to do things well but also sometimes make mistakes um and what i've learned is if people make mistakes that's human um it doesn't require you to finger point and pass the buck and blame what it does require is that honesty to say, look, this has not gone well. What have you learned from that? What have we learned from that? Adjust, adapt, learn, move on quickly. Um, yeah. that, that's, what the, that's what mature leaders and mature organisations do, I, I think. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Thank you. So next question is, if you ruled the world for a day, what would you do? Oh my goodness! Depends when that day is. If it's um, <laughs> just, I mean, there's there's a flippant answer, of course, which is that you know that if I could, if I could do one thing in the short term, it would make my home team Stoke City more successful. But that's too flippant. <laughs> um, just now, goodness, there's so much that's going on in this world, isn't there? Um, yeah. What would I want to do? Gosh, you know, I'd I'd certainly I'd certainly stop some of the things that are going on in in the world. You know, stop wars and stop poverty and stop famine, those kind of things. But those, those feel sometimes almost so idealistic. Um, but yeah, I think there is something about, I think when you when you do start to mature in life, you know, you, you do want to have the world to be a bit more ordered, a bit more peaceful. Um, you want your politicians to be more honest and have more integrity. Um, you, want, you want your governments to stand up for the people who are perhaps with greatest need, who are a bit less fortunate than, than, than we might be. And those things sound, sound idealistic. But when you boil them down to a particular situation or a particular circumstance or a particular community, um, th those things um, are the things that you'd want to be able to change. Um, it might take 48 hours rather than a day, but um, yeah, it would be nice if you could change those things, um, uh, I, I, I would say just now. Because I, I do feel the older I get, you want to create a world that is more stable for you know, for your for your children and for your family coming up behind you, and um, uh, if you could if you could change those things, that would make world a, feel a bit a better and and a bit more contented place. Yeah, absolutely, totally agree. Um, and when you're seventy and look back at your life, what will you be glad you did or feel proud of? Something you've either done already or something you still want to do. <laughs> Gosh, well, obviously, seventy is a heck of a long way away. Um, yeah. uh, um, many, 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 many years to, to come. Closer for others. Um, I, I, it's 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 it sounds like a, a very simple question, and, I, and I, I didn't particularly want to. I don't want to answer it in a flippant way because I think having worked already for 
34, 35 years. And if I've got another five years of working life left, I might have worked for 40 years of my life. So I might have worked for more in my life than I actually, uh, than I actually haven't. So I would, I would like to be able to look back and think that I had worked and led and been a colleague, um, been a team member, uh, been a manager, been a leader that has, has, has always worked well with other people, that's always allowed other people to have the space that they need to realize their potential. Um, I'm also, as Brian said at the outset, I'm also now a, a qualified executive coach and mentor, and I spend a lot of time in that in that role working with people to help them realize their potential. So um, as long as I can sit back at 70 and think, well, in my life, I've tend to do things in a in a good way and the right way to to help others to re- help others realize their potential to achieve um, to achieve what what they want to achieve and particularly in a role as a leader manager I think that's really important that I always try and create a team an environment a culture an organization that I would want to work in that I do work in so um, it's yeah looking back and thinking well I've I did the best that I could to create the right environment, to create the right opportunity to help others realize and enable them to work in the best possible way that they could work. Um, that's something that I would I would feel really proud about. Some things that I've done that I'm really proud about, I've, I've, I've had some personal achievements that, you know, going back to my old footballing days, that I'm, I'm always very proud of that I've done. But I think ultimately it's it's looking back at your career and looking back at your family and thinking, well, I've, I've done the best that I could. Excellent. Brilliant. Thank you so much, David. That was really good. Okay. David, that was, that, that was brilliant. Yeah. Thanks very much. That, that <clears throat> went off in all sorts of directions that, 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 that was, that was really informative actually and, and, a, and a good chat. So thanks very much for coming on. Brian, thanks for the opportunity. It's been great. It's it's been good. Um, and uh, again, any good conversation is only good as the questions. Um, so uh, thanks for some really interesting questions uh, to to stimulate the thinking. That's been really really enjoyable. I've uh, I've taken a lot from that myself. So thank you for the for the time this morning.